0: Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat where you are. We've got so much great stuff ahead of us today. I'm excited to share with you part two of this series, Pray First. That's just so meaningful to us here. I've got to tell you three quick things first. Uh, number one is this, that Financial Peace University... Is the opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, if you're anything like me, eh, this is controversial opinion, but I just think the financial literacy that's taught in the normal trajectory of middle school, high school, this life, what we're up to, where we're going, is just so weak and anemic. And if you've ever had questions like, "How do I save for an emergency? Well, I know retirement's coming, but no one's ever taught me how all that stuff works, how I do it, how I get my life in order. Heck, if you've got debt and you're going I know I don't like being in this much debt all the time we argue about it it's always so tense around the holidays and things but like I've never been able to get rid of it and get rid of it for good this FPU is just incredible like they said uh, the average people like a couple or a person that goes through it um, usually graduates the class having paid off twenty five hundred dollars in debt we've had entire classes together pay thirty thousand dollars of debt off uh, in the six weeks that the class exists you can sign up on your app. It is the opportunity of a lifetime. We're suspending. We're not doing our group launch like we normally do in January because we don't want you to have to choose like, hey, do I want a group or do I want to go to this or what? We're going to clear the way for this for a season. Then we're going to roll back into Bible studies groups and all that sweet stuff. Number two, uh, on, on your little packet there, you know, we always give you all that paperwork when you sit down. You're like, what is going on here? I just want Jesus. Okay. Uh, there's the giving envelope. There's the connect card. There's also a little preview sheet for our next series it's called help. Now, as long as I can remember, when I decided I wanted to be a pastor, I always knew I wanted to lead a church that is just drenched in the grace of God. What I mean is I've always wanted to lead a church where it's okay to not be okay. I've always wanted to be a church where the real people can connect with the real God and find what it is they're really looking for. And so this next series is going to be one of our most impactful and heavy hitting series of the year. It's called Help, and we're just going to aim at all of the parts of our lives where we tend to need help. So, you actually have our first five weeks on there, okay? Like, help, I'm afraid. I'm dealing with fear. It's got a hold of me. Uh, I can't stand it. Uh, help, my marriage is hurting. Help, my finances are broken. Help, I'm anxious and depressed. And, and we've got some cool guest speakers that are going to come in through the series, got some cool stuff we're going to do. But that little card. There is for you. You can take that and put it somewhere and be like, man, I was gonna skip church this day because of the playoffs, but I see what they're going on here, and I'm not gonna miss this one. So I'm actually gonna go. That's what that's all about. Okay, I'm almost there. This is the stuff before the stuff. Okay, third and finally, there are three pastors that have, like, just down to my core, like down to the very fiber of my being, who have influenced who I am as a pastor, a leader my understanding of the Gospel and what it means to me. Um, I could tell you about the other two, but I just want to stop and tell you on my list of three, um, far and away above anybody else, is Pastor Martin Luther King Jr. His investment as a pastor in the cause of the church And the way he didn't just let his beliefs about Jesus sit inside the comfortable walls of a building, but he let those beliefs lead him into uncomfortable and dangerous circumstances because of what he believed. And it's an example to all of us. And I'm just telling you, I am standing on his shoulders and I just love Uh, his contribution to the kingdom of God, the church as a whole. I am so pumped that we get to celebrate him and honor him this weekend. Uh, If you're new or visiting Momentum, we are just a passionately anti-racist, pro-civil rights. We believe that the gospel is just drenched in justice and equality for all people. As a matter of fact, the gospel itself is where all of that stuff springs from, And so I just honor that today, and just say you need to know that that matters to us here in this place. Um, The series, finally, okay, Uh, that's it for that. That's the stuff before the stuff is called pray first because we may not be there yet, but we're trying to become a group of people who pray first. Keith Gooseby kicked us off last week. Can you guys just make some noise for him, Sharon? That was just incredible. I was blessed. I was like, I'm a little sleepy, but he just brought it, and I woke up during the thing, and, and. I can't tell you if that's going to happen for you today or not, but, but but if not, then Keith's still here and you can go ask him some follow-up questions later or do a coffee with Keith and I promise to be good. We want to pray first because when, when the school calls and they say something like, hey, your child is struggling and they're behind in these key areas, we don't want to sweat it first. We don't want to become overwhelmed first. We don't want to be given into anxiety first. We want to be people who pray first. When the washing machine breaks or there's this unexpected bill and you didn't see it coming, we want to be people who pray first. When a cough comes back, you're like, what's up with that cough? And why won't it go away? We don't want to be people who Google search WebMD first. We want to be people who pray first. I am yet to meet somebody who has Google searched their way into feeling better about what was going on in their life. Can I get an amen, please? There we go. We want to be people who pray First, And you got to start a message called Pray First by Praying First. So let's get after it. God, I pray that you meet us today. I pray that your word is made much of today. I pray on this crazy journey of faith and life and trying to run after Jesus that you would fuel us by the power of your word and Holy Spirit this morning. Let's get after it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you a vision for prayer. Let's talk. Why pray? Why take two weeks at the beginning of the year and say pray first over and over and over again? Why do we pray? What's in it? What, what could we be praying about? What causes us to pray? One great starting place is gratitude. Gratitude. As a matter of fact, check this out. Did you know most of Jesus' prayers that we have recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were just him giving thanks to God? Did you catch that? In In your Gospels, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when Jesus prays, oddly enough, you hear two things. One, it says he lifted his hands and looked up, and then he gave thanks or returned thanks to God. I don't know where we got the close your eyes, bow your heads, do this, grab hands with other people. My guess is somebody in children's church created that because they were trying to teach kids to pray and the two knuckleheads over here punching each other in the shoulder and the teacher one day was like hey why don't we just all bow our heads today and like put your hands together put your, and then they, we just started praying like this that's not how Jesus prayed he often looked up he gave thanks I like gratitude because I think it's spiritual warfare in this life I can be so drawn into my parts of my life that are not where I want them to be It is so common for me to be sitting on a pile of God's grace and blessing, and yet none of it has my attention. Where does our attention? Like, I mean, come on, in this room, right now, right now. some, Some of us like are doing pretty well, right? Like, I bet no one in this gym missed a meal this week. I bet nobody in this gym went and had to sleep without a roof over their head this week. Some of you guys, some of us have multiple TV screens in our houses with multiple gaming systems to play whatever game we're feeling like. Like, you plug things in and electricity comes out and turns them on. Some of you, like when your house is a mess, somebody comes and cleans it. When the yard is looking junky, that guy shows up right on time, mows the thing for you. We are so inundated with blessing, we miss it sometimes. And what happens? Our attention goes to these parts and pieces of our life that aren't as good as they could be, uh, that aren't going how we want them to go that aren't that aren't where we want them to be what do i do when i stop what i'm doing and give thanks to god what do i do i shift my focus from my trouble from my problems and from my worry to the goodness of god it's warfare and a world that says you should do a little bit more, it could be going better. If only you would have, when I stop and I pray with a heart full of gratitude, I am going to war on a world that says I'm only as good as my last achievement. I am thanking God and turning my attention to Him. Here's another uh, prayer thing. We could talk about venting. If you like the Christian word for it, they call it lamenting in the Bible. It's venting, y'all. We know what you really are, lamenting. It's appropriate sometimes in your faith, in your life, in your journey to vent to God. Believe it or not, He can handle it. When you've been the victim of an injustice, when you did everything right and it all came out wrong, when you've given all you have and somebody tries to tell you it's not enough, can I tell you something? It is biblical and appropriate to get in your car sometimes and just go, oh! God can work with that. He can work with what's going on and why aren't you doing something with it? How come this happened again? He can handle that. I take great comfort in venting and lamenting when I read Romans 8.26. It says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Do you know what this means? You know, it means that if, if you are in Jesus, if you are in Christ, a Jesus follower, if you have no words to pray, all you have in your heart is angst. The Holy Spirit takes that before God and prays on your behalf and takes that angst, the hurt, and whatever else it is you're feeling and communicates it to your Lord for you. I was at Ground Zero, uh, a young man who was 17 years old, passed away in a car accident, got the phone call, had to be there at the house where everyone was gathering around his family. And you get to spaces like that. Where all anyone can do is cry. You hold hands in a circle. And the only prayers you have to offer are... oh! Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit can take that groan before God, pray it on your behalf in line with His will. Why pray? Because sometimes you just have to get it out. Sometimes you just have to take it before God because there's nowhere else to take it. Why do we pray? We pray because we realize just how vulnerable we are in this life. And if you think you're not, you've bought into a myth. Live a little bit of life. And you'll see how truly vulnerable we all are. Every single one of us in here is a phone call, a decision, a bad moment away from a total collapse. When you truly grasp that, Prayer makes all the sense in the world. Philip Yancey, this great theologian and writer, points this out. He says, the very word prayer comes from the Latin root precarious, the linguistic cousin to precarious, which means uncertain, dangerous, or you could fall. We pray because we're vulnerable and we can't help it. Here's the deal. All of us are vulnerable. And when you realize it, Prayer makes all the sense in the world. Why pray? Why pray first? Here's why. We were made for prayer, we were made for it. There's a reason over the last 10 days on the back end of DeMar Hamlin collapsing on the NFL field, being resuscitated on live TV. TV screens filled up with teams circling to pray for him on a week-to-week basis. Dan Orlovsky stopping what he was doing on his show, risking his whole career to pray. Or one of my favorites, they had the two number threes come out on the field representing DeMar Hamlin. Before anybody did anything, they prayed. And we all watched that. And there was a part of my heart and there was a part of yours that just stopped and just felt like that is how the world is supposed to be. Why is that? It's because you were made for prayer. Scientifically, a study of evangelicals why they were praying and asking God for comfort by a medis- medical school cardiovascular specialist, Dr. Herbert Benson discovered what he called the relaxation response, which is released when people move out of a state of pressure and into a physical, psychological state that shifts people out of fight or flight or a freeze state and into a state of rest and ease. Prayers shown to increase neurotransmitters, which release dopamine, that bring a state of relaxation, focus, and motivation and well-being. One study, this is a technical study done by Lisa Miller, professor and director of clinical psychology and director of spirituality in mind, body, and soul in the University of Columbia, conducted a study of people who are at high risk for depression using MRIs. She found that those who prayed regularly developed a thicker cerebral cortex which is associated with lower levels of depression and anxiety. How is that? It is because we were made to pray. And I don't just mean like on this distant news journal, psychological level. I mean you were knit together by God to pray. Psalm 91, is this powerful passage in the Psalms, and it, it says this, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and in Him I will trust. Do you know, do you know what he's, I love this, you know what he's saying about you? He's saying you were made by God. To step out of noise, out of the loud, out of public performance, out of everybody's field of view. To quietly rest in his presence where you're restored, strengthened, healed, guided, and loved. It is a vision of a God who says, hey, I want to get away with you. I don't want them, I don't want it, I don't want your to-do list, I want you. And I think this is so relevant right now because here's the deal, our lives have become so public So much of our life is lived in public space in front of people. If you you get online or social media, you know you have middle school kids and they're nervous about what angle they're gonna post a picture of their sandwich from on a Saturday afternoon and there's an intense amount of pressure. We live in a part of the world where your public persona, what you have, what you drive, where your kids take lessons is such an all time high and it's a premium and there's this pressure to keep up because posted this from there, and we haven't done anything this year, and I feel like I'm just sitting here, and you guys work in places where people know where you stand, and there's people who look to you, and they need things from you, some of you go to schools, and there's a class rank, and they put it out there, and you know where you stand in relation to every people, and so much of our life is public, and I mean, if there was ever a time to learn how to dwell with God in a place that is not public, but secret where you're loved, guided, strengthened, and directed. I mean, who doesn't want that? Even if you're doing a great job of resisting culture and you know that your worth is in social media and how you post and what you wear and how you look, can I tell you something? The simple act of resisting that pressure is exhausting. Because you're still living in a state of resistance and what we were made for is a secret place where we find everything we need to be. It is who it is that God has made us to be. Can I tell you something? That happens when you build a life based on prayer. Now here's one of those moments we're sharing right now. Everybody wants it, but it's so hard to get there, right? What you mean to tell me, like, I could meet with God and he could make me more secure and less insecure and I would have more purpose and less wandering and I'd be more strengthened and less weak yeah sign me up but I've tried this before Matt I did the prayer thing and we did the app and it was 21 days and the 21 days were off and I wasn't there I mean I was praying with Dave every week and Dave was a good prayer so I'd kind of tell Dave what to pray and Dave would pray and then I'd be good but then Dave left he moved and so it's just me and it just fell back to pieces it's what I call prayer paralysis You try and pray, at some point in your life, you're going to get prayer paralysis. It can come from inadequacy. Sometimes you go. I mean, Keith's message. I'm still living off Keith's message last week. But can I tell you something? It is okay if part of you felt like I get that for Keith. Like I think he has a direct line to the Lord. Like, and I'm sure that he answers Keith's prayers like that. But I got some dirt under my fingernails still. I'm not where I meant to be yet, and I'm not who God wants me to be yet. And I'm just wondering: Does that put a kink in my phone line? And when I pick up the phone to call him, is it kind of go off to the side, and he gets some of it but not all of it because I don't know me. I don't know about you. You want to talk about prayer inadequacy? When I first became a Christian, the idea of praying out loud with other Christians was terrifying. They're they're, they're like... I became a Christian. Okay, we're praying now. We pray for the thing. We're gonna stand in a circle. We're gonna hold hands. All right, that's a new experience for me. I guess we hold hands now. Okay, so now I'm holding hands and I'm praying. This guy's praying. He's got name. He's like, oh, El Shaddai, Gyro, uh, the you know, Creator of all that exists on earth eternally. And I'm like, oh, no. the whole time we're going around the circle. The whole time you're praying, I'm just trying to think about what I'm supposed to say so I don't look dumb in front of you. And then let me just hook you guys up. Okay, this is this is this is worth your whole visit this morning. I learned, this, saved, this changed everything about public prayer. I learned the Christian squeeze. Do you know the Christian squeeze? Some, some of you know the Christian, it saved your bacon, didn't it? The Christian, squeeze. here's the secret. You're in a circle and uh, this guy prays, that person prays, this person, it's your turn to pray. You just give that thing a squeeze and the next person just, oh, he, oh brother Matt is just too moved right now, he can't even pray. I just, I learned about the Christian squeeze, I just pew. Like, just send that thing going. Like, I, you just give them a squeeze, and they're good. But, but it, can, it can, for real, though, you can feel inadequate. You can feel like, I don't know what to say. I don't know if God hears me. I don't know if I'm good enough. That, that causes the prayer paralysis. Um, it could be outcome anxiety. And it kind of affects us in two different ways. Some of you live in your heads, your thinkers, your how does this work, how does that work. Some of you live in your hearts, you just kind of feel your way through things. God usually in a marriage finds a thinker and puts it with a heart person and just watches all the stuff that happens between them. But, but uh, anyways, uh, thinkers, your outcome anxiety kind of looks like this. Like, well, is it really going to make a difference? Uh, you know, like... I understand before, like, we had science and irrigate, you know, the farmer, he prayed for his crops and hoped it would rain, and then by a weather cycle, it would rain, and then he would think that God did it, and then they would just pray, but it's probably better that they pray, so let's just leave it be, or, you know, now we have modern medicine, and they kind of, you know, you guys can pray for my kid, but I'm taking them to the ER first, because if they get the medicine, then they'll be good, and the, the intellectual version of alchem anxiety is this thought, like, does this really matter? The heart shaped version, the feeling version, perceiving version of outcome anxiety is I'm scared, I'm going to be disappointed. Like, what if I go all in with my heart on this and this is something that I want so bad I can taste it and I do all the things and I pray all the prayers and it doesn't go my way? Where does that leave me with God? We could talk all about our God views, what we think about God what we think of when we think of God. Is He a nice God? Is He a busy God? Is He out taking care of things that are bigger than me that can cause prayer paralysis? There's all kinds of things we could say about this, but I'll just kind of cut to the chase. It it tends to push us to two unhealthy sides of a spectrum. On one side you get this passive complaining, and on the other side you get obligation before action. Uh, Passive complaining is kind of people who have just detached themselves from life and living. And have just kind of resigned themselves, like I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to watch the news, and I'm going to ask God to bless it. I'm going to lose my keys, and I say, Lord, help me find my keys. And hey, oh, he's up there. Oh, it's bad out here, God. You got to change them, change that. But but when it comes to like living, when it when it comes to engaging. When it comes to being out there living a life of meaning and purpose and adventure with King Jesus, they've kind of given up on that whole spot and they sit back here comfortably kind of throwing prayers out into culture and at things that they don't really like. But on the other hand, prayer paralysis leads some people to go, you know what? Like, I'm just going to get it done myself like, come on, like, I, there's a whole world out there, it's going to hell in a handbasket, and they need more people out there, to, let's go on a mission trip, let's go fix something, let's feed the guy, he's holding a sign, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him some money this week, I'm gonna tip extra at the restaurants, I'm gonna go build a thing, when I see the neighbor, I'm gonna go meet the neighbor, I'm gonna do all this stuff, I kind of heard prayer's a thing, I know God's up there, but it's really about my actions, my working, and my doing, and my strength, so I'm gonna give God one of these, uh, Lord bless it, here we go, and then I'm, and I'm gone. And so you get people on one side kind of sitting back, not engaging, you know, so heavenly minded they're no earthly good and then you get the other side of people going, guys, we got to get busy here. Like there is a world to save and it needs us. So let's go, Oh Lord bless it and both miss it. And so I want to give you one simple challenge this week. What do we do with this, Matt? Where am I supposed to go from here? One simple idea, one simple vision. I want to challenge you to simply pray what you've got. I'm not a big, like, title of a message guy. You, you ever seen pastors? they got all that swag, and they're like, I titled this message Today Your Life change." Turn to somebody next to you and tell them Today Your Life change. I don't do that a lot. Like, bit, we put these on YouTube, and she's always like, hey, what's the caption going to be? This, way? Hey, here is a, this message has a title. It is called Pray What You've Got, and I believe it could change everything for your prayer life. I believe a great prayer life for you and for me is far easier than we make it, and it begins with dropping our fears dropping our pretense, drop what you think you should be praying, simply approach the loving God of heaven and earth with boldness and pray what you've got. If I could give you one challenge for this year, one thing that'll shape your prayer life, it would be the simple idea of praying what you've got not praying as you think you're supposed to pray, not praying like the person across the circle from you, that you will learn to approach God with everything you have and everything you are and with whatever you have and simply pray what you've got. Now, if you're like, Matt, that's too simple. That's pastor talk. You're taking this big thing, prayer. You're trying to put it in one sentence and that's not going to work for me. I want biblical prayer, Matt. I want like, how did Jesus pray? Where's that? Come on, where's the Our Father who art in this, that, you know? know what what is that stuff i'd say scan the pages of scripture start to finish and every single hero lifted up in scripture is somebody who didn't have it all figured out but they simply brought god what they have go to moses for me the powerful moment, he and God, God and him, quietly together on the side of a mountain. Moses there playing, Lord, show me your glory. Just pass by me and it'll be enough. I'll shine like the sun. You remember that story? He starts leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, into this promised land. They get on his nerves in all of three months. And there he is, just a couple days after, Lord, show me your glory. And you get these words Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you've put all this burden these people on me? Did I conceive of these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms, God? This sounds like a man who's praying what he had. I don't have the passages, but if you look at the life of Elisha, I know that Elisha called down more miracles from heaven than any other prophet in the entirety of Scripture. And then you get that passage where these guys are talk- Elisha also had some male pattern baldness in his in his world and he's walking across from here to there in this one place and there's these kids up on this hill and they're, hey, hey bald what are you doing down there? Hey, hey bald guy. And they're, they're harassing him and making fun of him and you get this crazy story. You read it. It's in your Bible that you brought today, he calls on some bears to go attack the kids, and what comes watering out of the woods all of a sudden? Can I tell you something? He prayed what he had. You got David, the psalmist, the man after God's own heart, he says, let all creation rejoice before the Lord, and a few chapters later in Psalm 137, after his army is attacked and defeated, he says, happy is the one, this is graphic, who seizes their infants and dashes them against the rocks. He prayed what he had. Well, Matt, like that was the Old Testament, the New Testament, they kind of figured it out. God of love. Grace changed hearts. I go, have you seen Jesus' prayers? In Matthew 6, you hear Jesus, and that's that famous, like, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be in name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And it's so beautiful and poetic, but then you get Jesus on His face the night before His execution, saying, God, I don't want to do this. Take this from me. Get somebody else. Find another way. You got Jesus on a cross. Saying, God, why have you mistaken or why have you forsaken me? That's a misprint. But then you got Jesus on the back end of the resurrection. Saying, God, show me your glory again one day at a time, simply praying to God and bringing Him what He had. I want you to pray what you've got. You got bad motives? Pray them. You feel like your prayers are selfish? Pray about how you feel your prayers are selfish. Keith brought us to that passage last week and this guy approaches Jesus and he says, I am having trouble in believing in you, Jesus. Can you help me with my unbelief? Jesus can work with that. You're scared about what's going to happen if you pray. You're scared if you're going to be disappointed if it doesn't go your way. Bring that to God. Bring Him your fears. Bring them your hang-ups. Bring them their 10-second prayers because you don't know what to say after that. Bring God what you have and watch Him work with it because last time I checked, what He cares about more than anything is a relationship with you. He's not up there with a red pen and a clipboard judging you on your language. He wants to know you. There's this great... Uh, passage from uh, a theologian named John Chapman, and he says, pray as you can, not as you can't. And I love it because it's so freeing because I'm not a morning person. And morning people get up, and like those Christians are like, whoo! It's like 30 in the morning. I'm like, man, that time I just had with God is, And uh, the Lord, I, He met with, oh, we were in the secret place. I mean, I, it was so good, and then He fixed this for me. And, I, and I'm like, I wasn't even up at that time. I can't pray like that. Praise, you can't. Oh, I I can't pray in the morning. Then don't. But I don't know what to say, so if my prayers go longer than 30 seconds, it gets kind of ugly. Well, then don't pray more than 30 seconds. Well, I, I, I pray on the drive, like when I'm driving to work and I'm there, I can't really pray after that. Well, then don't pray after that. Well, when they come home from work and then we got to do homework with the kids and get dinner on the table and get them to bed and I just don't know how I'm supposed to be living this life of prayer while it's all happening. Well, don't live a life of prayer while it's all happening. Just pray when you're done. Pray in the morning. Pray as you can, not as you can't. Start where you are because trust me, God can work with that. C.S. Lewis said it like this. Let us lay before Him what is in us not what ought to be in us do you hear what he's saying he's saying when you go to God don't go to God as something you're not when you pray to God You don't have to, like, dust it off and go, okay, well, I I just cussed out the kids. I'm mad about this. Oh, dear Father, would you please just bless this household in your name? Kind, loving Jesus. You don't have to do that. You can bring this you that just cussed at the kids to him because he can handle it. You can bring the you with the faults and failures to him because he can handle it. I, I mean, you want to transform your life? Change that prayer of, like, Oh Lord, uh, lead me into purity and your everlasting love to like Hey, I have a re- God, I have a real struggle with pornography It's messing up things around me and I need your help doing something about it because I can't do it myself He can work with that If you look through the pages of Scripture there is one thing God hates There's a few but one of them is pretending because He knows He knows your heart He knows your struggles, He knows where you've been, He knows what happened to you, and He knows what it did to you. And what He's longing for is that you would bring the real you to the real Him so you can find what it is you really need. You want to know one of my favorite Jesus stories in the entire scripture? Jesus told parables. A parable is a made-up story about a spiritual reality. So most of the time he would tell a parable. It was a fictional story Jesus was telling, but it pointed to a true spiritual reality. Book of Luke chapter 18, I think, Jesus just says this. There were two men that went on a hill to pray. And the first one very religious person, went to the hill. He said, God, I'm not a robber, I'm not a thief, I'm not a liar. I'm not even like that stupid tax collector over there who's ripping off our town one person at a time. I give what I have, I go to church when I should. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't make me like any of these other people. And Jesus says, right next to him, there was another man who was in fact a tax collector. And it says, he got to the top of the hill, he fell on his face, and the only words he could share were, God have mercy on me, a sinner. God have mercy on me, I sin. And then Jesus says, that's the one who got it. That's the one who found grace, freedom and everything he was looking for on that hill that day because he prayed what he had. See both ends of that prayer spectrum miss it. Over here there's those passive complainers, Lord just change it, fix it, help us. It's the action driven people just praying out of obligation. And both miss the most important thing, which is relationship. The place where we're strengthened, held, loved, guided, and believed in is when we're in relationship with God. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the morning. When they were connected to God in relationship, there was no fear, insecurity, death, or darkness because they were connected to Him in relationship. Jesus walked the earth and He painted a picture of eternal life. Not just life forever in heaven. He would say there's this life available to you. It's an abundant life. It's an eternal life. It's a life where you have purpose and you don't wander because God has marked your heart and created you for something on earth that no one else can do. It's a a life marked by security that no one can take from you. It's a life where you walk free from the whims and opinions of others because you always know that you're enough. It's a life where you're held. It's a life where everything around you could be chaos, but inside you feel peace and strength and stillness. The writer of Hebrews would say it's a life where you have hope as an anchor for your soul. Jesus called it eternal life. And in John 17 verse 3, I don't have it here. Take a note. You don't want to miss this. He tells Tells us where we can find eternal life. After three years of ministry, he spills the beans in his final prayer with his disciples the night before he would be killed on a cross. He says, look at me. Don't miss this. This is eternal life. That they know you one true God and the Son who you sent. Where is life found? Where is hope found? Where is security found? Where are new beginnings found? Where is grace found? Where is guidance found? Where is light, life, and love found? Where is everything you were made for and are looking for found? It's in a relationship with Jesus. Can you show them my last chart? What I love about praying what you got is it's the space where you enter into a relationship with God. What makes the simple concept so deep and profound is when I lay aside pretense who I think I should be and what I think I should be saying, and I bring God all of me, the real me, my relationship with Him grows. About six years ago, I was sharing a home with three females. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. My entire house was turning pink. There was glitter all over the table and stuff. Stuffed animals, you're just tripping over them. Doll houses, Barbies, the whole works. And like any man in that situation, I was like, another guy around here wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Britt gets pregnant. We go get the ultrasound, and I hear those three words. It's a boy. And this little maniac entered our lives and changed everything. And I'll tell you something. The lengths I go to, for relationship with this young man are astounding he was into dinosaurs so for hours at a time i'm sitting on the ground with cramped up legs just hearing for the 15th time how the dilophosaurus didn't really spit venom, but people think it did because it was recreated in the movie Jurassic Park to be more frightening. I'm learning facts about the Velociraptor and the Utah Raptor and the Little Raptor, and the actual size of the Raptor was knee high. He switched to Pokemon, and now we're into Pokemon and Charizards and whatever Puffs and Pikachus and all this stuff, and we do this thing now where I sit there with the computer and we're staring at it and he doesn't have Pokemon cards he wants and he figured out that we could take a picture from the internet and print it on the paper the size of a Pokemon card and hopefully we don't go down for forgery or something like that but he's got a whole collection and we get to the page where he picks the picture out of the the Pokemon and his Google images and there's you know a six-year-old sitting in front of Infinity on the internet with unlimited pictures of Pokemon. And he's scrolling, he's like, this one, yeah, dad, this. Wait a second, no, not that one, we need plan B. And I sit there for hours with this little man staring at a computer with stuff that I don't care about. Do you know why? Because I want to know him. More than anything else on earth that I want for that boy, I want to know him. And I tell you that to tell you this morning, there is a God out there who is madly in love with you. And he wants to know you. He wants to talk to you in the morning. He's ready for you to confide in Him with your problems for the 15th time. He's the one that can take you from who it is you are to who it is you want to be. But above all that, He's simply thrilled to be with you. So you pray what you got. Because when the real you meets the real God, you find what it is you're really looking for. And so this year, would you be somebody who prays first? Would you lean in to relationship with God? Would you say, you know what? I made a lot of resolutions this year. I don't care if any of them happen, but at the end of this year, I know Jesus better. It's been a good year. Would you be the Jesus follower who clings to faith when everything looks like it's not gonna work out? Would you be the Jesus follower? Who takes this thing called faith and makes it real in the world right where God placed you because there's no one else who can do it on your behalf. And would you be willing to draw close to your Lord and your Savior in relationship? Because that's what this is all about. Would you stand and I'm going to pray for you.